JCPS is canceled for another two days as they struggle to figure out busing despite lawmakers and UPS offering up different solutions. Somehow, I think even if they paid their drivers 170 k a year like UPS is now doing, they'd still manage to mess it up. Madison County Public Schools uh, forced their teachers to sit through a malice struggle session with a white race hustler. And finally, I go over what a joke campaign finance laws are, as both Bashir and the Cameron campaign have demonstrated to us over the last several months. We'll have all that and more here today on the Andrew Kubrider Show. Before we get into that, please like, comment, share, subscribe. If you're listening to this uh, in on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter, like it, hit the share button, hit the retweet button or re-X button. Uh, you know, do whatever you need to do to get the word out there. Leave a comment, leave a like. If you're listening to this in the podcast form, please leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're on. And as a reminder to all of you listening on Facebook or YouTube or Twitter, if you want to be able to take this on the go easily listen to it while you're driving in the car during your morning commutes or while you're working out. Just remember to listen on any major podcasting platform like Apple, Spotify, uh, you know, iHeart, Amazon, any podcasting platform. Without further ado, let's get into it. Jefferson County Public Schools, that's Louisville, is canceled today and tomorrow again to try to figure out this busing problem they're having. Now, obviously, this is a complete failure. It really doesn't matter how you look at it. Um, quite literally, you have now canceled the first four out of the first five days of school because you can't get kids to school. It, as I spoke about in last week's podcast, it clearly demonstrates an inability to prepare, to plan. You clearly didn't practice these routes with your bus drivers before you started out. Uh, instead, you decide to throw them to the wolves. And so it, somebody's got to solve this problem. And so we have the legislators who represent parts of Jefferson County, the Republicans calling on Annie Bashir to have a special session. And as they're calling for that special session, uh, they're asking for a, a little, a few number, a number of a few things. And so this was their open letter to Jefferson County parents, teachers, students, and taxpayers. Yesterday, J JCPS failed in its most fundamental obligation, which is to keep our kids safe. To begin with this epic failure, this is a funny open letter. This is epic failure. Anyways, this epic failure did not come out of the blue as warnings were echoed across the county throughout the summer. This is the last straw. This community has talked for years about the need for structural changes, but nothing has really changed. Sadly, it is undeniable that the priorities of the school board are not with the safety and academic excellence of our students. So here's our plan, and we welcome ideas from all of you. First, Representative Bratcher will refile his bill, where all students by law will have the right to attend their neighborhood schools. So it we're going to pause there for a second. Why is this so important? Well, in Louisville, they have a, a sort of force busing scheme. You see, if you went like in almost all other parts of the state, you go to the school based upon where you geographically live, the school that is closest to you. But in 
Jefferson County, what they do is they bus kids sometimes all across the county. So they pick up all these kids, they take them to a bus depot where then they're to get onto their correct buses uh, at not at a school, not anywhere else, but at a bus depot. And then they get bused to their proper schools. This causes really long routes. And this is part of what causes this logistics issue that JCPS is having. Now they do this in the guise of equity and equality and so on and so forth because, well, all the the poor places would all have poor students and 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 those schools would be worse while all the schools that don't have poor students would would be excellent and overperforming and that would create an inequity in our public school system despite the fact that they're be- receiving the same amount of money now obviously uh, that somehow believes that it is uh, somehow a difference in quality of school and not a difference in quality of involved parent right wrong or indifferent it could be because of economic circumstances could be a number of things. But once again, I don't think falling to the schools to uh, create a situation where parents are now more responsible individuals is quite their role. And that is why they continue to fail at this. So that's why that bill would be so important is because you have kids that go to school 45 minutes away. A friend of mine went to uh, public schools in Jefferson County public schools. And um I was just talking to him yesterday about this, and he had mentioned how friends at his school would live 45 minutes away from him, but they went to the same school in a gigantic city. This is quite a big problem. But anyways, we continue in this letter as they talk about co-sponsoring the bill to right to attend their neighborhood schools. This will go a long way to reducing the need for so many buses and transporting students across the county. Second, we will call for a commission to evaluate splitting up JCPS. With nearly 100,000 students and 165 schools, the district is too big to properly manage. Now, this is also another important thing to understand. The Driftstone County Public Schools is one of the largest school districts, uh, standalone school districts in the nation, one of the largest. Um, It is not abnormal for large cities to have their school districts broken up into areas so that way they can uh, better handle and be more responsive to the areas. Anyways, uh, continuing on in the letter. Third, we will call for an extensive changes to our school board, which has shown that it's not up to the task of managing our $2 billion school district. Further, Uh, Fourth, we strongly support school choice, which will empower parents to have more control over the education of their children. To that end, we're supporting putting a school choice amendment on the 2024 ballot for the voters to decide. We believe in funding students, not systems. Finally, we call on the governor to call General Assembly into a special session for the purpose of immediately acting the above policies and to take other steps to protect students and support parents in Jefferson County. And some yesterday's debacle must be the catalyst for change. Our school district has failed for far too long for the good of our community. And most importantly, for the future of our children, we must act boldly and we must act now. And this is signed by Representative Jared Baum, Representative Kevin Bratcher, Representative Emily Calloway, Representative John Hodgson, Representative Ken Fleming, Representative Jason Nemus, Representative Susan Witten, Cinder Matt Deenan, Senator Julie Rocky Adams, Senator Mike Nemus, Senator Adrian Southworth, and Senator Lindsay Tishner. So that is an open letter calling for uh, the 
Jefferson County Public Schools to get their act together, but a special session to help address it. Obviously, this is not something Jefferson County Public Schools will probably go for. The idea of splitting up, in fact, uh, Dr. Marty Polo, the superintendent, has come out and stated that he is against splitting up the district. He doesn't really have a discernible reason why. Of course, we know the real reason. Breaking up the school district would break up the amount of power he has because he doesn't have as many people to, of course, look over, um, which obviously then breaks up your power. But, you know, to be fair, it isn't just Jefferson County Public Schools that are failing in this way. In fact, um, there is a, a point they make in there about putting in place school choice. Because, you know, at least Jefferson County Public Schools, when they don't have enough bus drivers and processes, they cancel school. Um, what Fayette County Schools does is, well, they just cancel bus routes. <laughs> That's right. In Fayette County Public Schools, where, uh, of course, I live here in Fayette County, when they don't have enough bus drivers, they just start canceling bus routes and tell the parents, just figure it out. Some Most of the time with very little notice because, of course, they're short-staffed and they um, just don't have the ability to cover the route. So they just tell them, hey, you're on your own. You'll figure it out. And so, you know, I guess that's that's... A point. But what's interesting about uh, the response to this letter and the response to these so-called attacks on public schools is the claim from a lot of leftists online and leftist talking heads uh, saying that, well, it's because the Republicans have so unfunded our schools. Our schools are so badly funded. They've created this problem, and now they're using this as an excuse to break us apart. These are literal comments we're seeing that these schools have been underfunded and not taken care of, and for that reason, that's why they're failing, and now they're using the fact that they created the problem, the legislators, because because of their underfunding in order to justify breaking it up. But I do have to ask, you know, JCPS spends $19,000 per student. That's $19,000 per student. Fayette County Public Schools spends $17,000 per student. You know, the nicest public schools, or I'm sorry, the nicest private schools in at least Fayette County, I haven't really looked into Louisville, that's not important, but here in Fayette County, some of the nicest public or private schools cost $13,000 a year in tuition. And these private schools have sports teams, they have facilities of proper size, well taken care of facilities. Uh, they don't seem to have an issue with recruiting and maintaining staffing or teachers. Um, they, they quite literally seem to operate fantastic off their 13 grand a year per student and deliver excellent results as far as academic success. Now, a lot of people, when I've brought that up in the past, have stated, well, you know, those, those private schools, they don't have to worry about busing. And so that is why uh, they, they're able to get by on such low amount of money while, while the public schools are not. That is something I hear. I've heard other things, too, such as, well, these private schools can deny students. And that's true, which really, once again, speaks to a, a parent problem, not a school problem, and no amount of, amount of spending out of our taxpayers' pockets will fix that. But let's go to their first argument that, well, they don't have to bus. Well, the difference between JCPS and private schools of $6,000 means on your average bus that can hold around, let's say, 60 students, if you're sitting, you know, middle school, high school, it's a weird mix, right? You can only do two to a seat when it's older. But let's, let's take a look here. So 60 students times... 
the $6,000 a year difference between private schools and public funding is $360,000 a year to pay for transporting those students. 360K a year. You know, at, at the beginning of this show, I made the joke about how UPS is offering to help Jefferson County Public Schools solve their problem because, of course, UPS is a logistics uh that's what they do. They're a logistics company. They can do this kind of stuff. Um, but of course, we saw UPS recently having to pay their drivers. Uh, they said on average 170K a year. Now that was a union agreement. But it seems as if at that kind of spending, well, Jefferson County Public Schools maybe themselves could also afford to be paying their drivers 170K a year. I mean, $360,000 a year to transport the students. Fuel and cost for the bus, that leaves quite a lot on the bone. Makes you wonder how they continue to fail at this. Or maybe it's not all going there. Instead, it's going to the massive size of administrators. It's going to things like Marty Polo getting a $75,000 a year raise. Not seventy-five dollars a year he's being paid, but his raise was $75,000. Now, of course, the schools themselves are blaming a mess of things. We heard them blame traffic last week. And this week, it's this new AI system that they've brought in that they're trying out. They purchased this new AI system. It appears for over $300,000 in order to create these marvelous bus routes to help them deal with their logistics problem. Uh, reportedly, this AI had buses driving even into Indiana in order to drop off kids that live in Kentucky. Sounds like the AI isn't quite there, but that does reflect on once again for now, probably the third or fourth time on this issue, the point of why didn't you have the drivers try out the routes in the, the first place? Well, Jefferson County Public Schools being unable to open up for two more days. That didn't stop them from having a Saturday listening session where the board sat to listen to parents not about the busing, though. They want to make that very clear. This wasn't about busing. This has been scheduled for a long time. This is to talk about other things, like are kids learning enough cursive or other issues, not to actually address the issue of getting the kids to school. Because, of course, it doesn't matter what kind of things you want to teach the children if you can't even get them to school in the first place. But rest, rest, rest assured, they still had their listening session. And it became very awkward when some parents showed up and were confused that they weren't supposed to be there to talk about buses. Frankly, it's like they're burying their heads in the sand to a large degree. I mean, they promised last week that parents would have an answer no later than Saturday. And that answer that they received was, you're not going to school Monday and Tuesday. And these aren't NTI days either. The, the kids haven't even been at school to get computers in order to have NTI days. No, these are being counted as snow days. We're in the middle of August, and Jefferson County Public Schools has already technically had four snow days. I guess that really flies in the face of this so-called global warming when Jefferson County Public Schools has to have snow days in August. Well... Coming up after this, Madison County Schools, that's a uh, Richmond area there, um, had to sit through a struggle session with a white race hustler. We'll have that after this. 
So Madison County Public Schools had to sit through a Maoist struggle session on how they're all racist. Why? Well, a few years ago, Madison County Public Schools was sued because a uh, student had other students calling the child the uh, N-word repeatedly in a private chat. doesn't look like, based upon my per initial research on it, it doesn't look like that chat was monitored or a part of the school chat. But regardless, the student reported the behavior of the name-calling, and the, they feel that the schools were inadequate to act on it. Um, other things cited in the lawsuit include uh, the African-American student going up to a white student who's wearing a Confederate hat and asking them not to wear the hat. And so the next day, the student came back with a Confederate sweatshirt um, and a, a mix of other things that were in the complaint. And this launched the Department of Justice to go into a deep dive on Madison County Public Schools. And big surprise, the Biden DOJ has discovered that the Madison County Public Schools are just full of just brimming with gigantic, heaping large amounts of racism. And they can't have that. And so a part of that uh, agreement, the settlement of the lawsuit from the DOJ, was to have diversity training sessions. I will say that the administration deciding to hire in Dr. Cynthia Gnote to be the teacher does imply they somehow have some racist tendencies. And what do I mean by that? Well, Cynthia Gnote is clearly a racist herself. Um, but what's interesting is Cynthia, and, and you can tell she's a racist because, well, quite frankly, all she does is talk about race. Um, she is a, a apparently the former assistant dean for, for diversity and community engagement at the University of Louisville, so professionally do-nothing person. According to her LinkedIn, she's a current diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging educator, keynote speaker, consultant, facilitator, and coach working with organizations to advance a culture of inclusion, connection, and powerful communication. Now, we all know how I feel about these so-called diversity and whatever classes, these malice struggle sessions where everybody has to admit they're a no good, darn dirty racist. But I would say if you're going to hire somebody to tell a bunch of white people that they're a bunch of dirty racists uh, towards minorities, this might be a great opportunity to make sure you hire a minority to do it. But instead, we have this race hustler, Cynthia no, I'm throwing up an image for those of you. This is from her Facebook. Uh, I'm assuming her Facebook. For those of you who are unaware of, um, uh, who aren't looking uh, at this because you're listening to the podcast version, uh, this woman is white as snow. I don't even think she has a good tan on her. In the image I'm showing, there's clearly a lot of lighting going on. I believe some filter work has happened. And still, she is uh, whiter than me. I think this literally points out what a race hustler she is. I mean, she can't even leave the teaching of racism towards minorities to the minority people that these individuals are supposedly all racist to. Instead, she believes she's the most qualified person to do it from her white background. And while I myself don't put much into these things, as I've said earlier, uh, and while I myself uh, don't believe that these classes 
make any sense at all. I think they make even less sense. At least, you know, if you're going to hire somebody to teach a class on racism, you should hire somebody who isn't racist. But according to these types of thought processes and methodologies that she prescribes to, not me, but she, all white people are racist. And so somehow Madison County Schools has managed to uh, hire somebody who self-proclaims that she herself is a racist um, to teach a class on how to end racism. Certainly doesn't make a lot of sense. But Cynthia doesn't just teach about racism. No, 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 no. According to her Facebook, I have, uh, I believe, unfortunately missed it. I believe it's past. Uh, it's already passed. It, it happened a few days ago where she hosted a webinar called Barbie and Me unpacking the patriarchy. Now, in her post, she did let you know that if you hadn't seen the Barbie movie yet, you could still attend, which I, if I'd known about it, I could have attended. Now, I haven't seen the Barbie movie yet. I'm probably not going to. Um, but I don't think I'm their target audience. But at the same time, um, I could have attended this webinar. I'm sorry I missed it. I could have learned a lot about how to unpack the patriarchy. Um which is, is just shocking to me. Uh, I, I didn't know I needed to. And now I'm learning things. But according to teachers who attended this seminar, um, her entire talk consisted of beginning with the critical race theory concerning the founding fathers creating a system only for themselves. Uh, she started off by claiming that the uh, founders of our country are nothing but a, also a bunch of downturn racists and the very founding of our country in and of itself was founded on racism. It cause a common claim that we hear from these kinds of race hustlers, these kinds of race grifters. There's also statements made about ensuring that students are called by their desired pronouns. Obviously she didn't get the message about Senate bill 150, but also at the same time, I thought the issue before us was racism, but I guess somehow she's decided to tie in racism with gender pronouns. You know, it's really a problem and a joke that our tax dollars fund these things, continue to fund these things. Not only, as I said earlier, she held a position at the University of Louisville, but also as well as she was teaching this class for these teachers, we were clearly paying her. I don't think she came to do it of her own free will. I'm sure she was paid quite a lot for her time. After all, that is her professional job, uh, according to her LinkedIn, being a consultant on these issues. It does ask us where we've fallen. I mean, we've, we've become a place, a culture where everything and everybody's racist. And in order to learn about that, we sit through a white person telling a bunch of other white people that they're a bunch of racists. Now, I'm not trying to downplay the experience these students had. Uh, reportedly, they were repeatedly called the N-word over and over again. And that's horrific and that's horrible. I don't think you're exactly improving race relations when you hire this white woman to come in and explain how all white people, including herself, are racist. And how our founding fathers are racist. And how the very system we're standing on is racist. No, instead, maybe just talk about 
understanding how harmful some of the words are, where their histories come from, so you know why they're so wrong, and then how to deal with students who are saying these things in the first place. That would make more sense to do if you're going to have these types of sessions at all. Well, coming up after this, uh, the Bashir and Cameron campaigns have made it very clear how horrible our campaign finance laws are. We'll have more after this. Campaign finance laws are a joke. And I know a lot of you think that campaign finance laws are um, one of the few bulwarks trying to stop the corruption that we see going on in politics. But as a former candidate for office, I can tell you that these campaign laws are used to uh, lock out people like me, like you, like others, that receive donations from the masses and is intended instead to uh, only serve individuals who are going to be receiving those millions of dollars from corporations. That's quite clear when you take a look. I mean, to be honest, if I had 20 grand I wanted to get to one candidate, there are legal ways for me to get it to that one candidate. Whether that was uh, one, I can give them in the state of Kentucky $4,200 directly from them, from me and my wife can both give 2,100. So 4,200 from my family. Then I can give money to GOP parties all around the state and the state GOP uh, who can give unlimited amounts to political campaigns. I can also give money to PACs. Um, I can, if I want to get 20 grand in, I take 4,200 of it directly. And then I give 2,100 each to different PACs and tell them to give the money to you. There's many ways you could do it. Some of it's a little gray. Some of it's not. I, I remember during the uh, state Senate race, there was a redistricting fiasco that happened. And there's quite a lot of questions about campaign finance. And the, the director of the Kentucky election um, finance group, KREF, he, he said... When asked about it, he said, well, we're, we're allowing people to forward their money that they bring into this campaign. Uh, prior campaigns, that they're redistricted, they can pass it then into their other campaigns. And we're allowing them to do that because, you know, really, they could have just basically laundered it themselves by giving it to the party and then the party giving it back to them. Because, of course, campaigns can give unlimited amounts to the uh, party and then the party can give unlimited amounts to the campaign. And what he was alluding to was if I had a hundred grand in campaign account, I wanted to get it into another campaign account. I can just give a hundred grand to the local party, open up the new account. And then the local party is allowed to give me a hundred grand back. Is it illegal? Is it not? It's a little gray. It's unsure. But of course, people who aren't in good with the parties or people who don't have friends, because obviously if I instruct somebody as a candidate on how to do those things, exactly the legal process for how to get 20 grand, 30 grand into my account if they wanted to, that would be crossing a line. And so individuals like me can't explain it. And frankly, if they're not a often political donor who just knows how this works, well, there's no way for them to get the money in. But the political donors, the people who trade on political power, the people who use that political power to fund their businesses, they know exactly what they're doing. But as we look at the governor's race, we've seen both sides having issues with campaign finance and uh, definitely some very bad looks 
as far as campaign finance goes. We obviously had Cameron, nothing as of recent that I've seen, but Cameron has had some issues of campaign donations coming in from possible conflicts of interest, people that his office are looking into or taking to court, but then individuals within that uh, organization sending him money. Cameron campaign has had that issue. I'm not going to say they haven't, but the Bashir campaign has had significantly more issues. And it's a shame that the Cameron campaign has had even a issue, or it would be easier to point these things out for their campaign on Bashir, because by and large, by the size of the problem, the Bashir campaign's uh, misgivings have been uh, significantly more. I'll give you some examples. So this was according to WBKO that the so member of the Bashir campaign reached out to the Barron County Economic Authority asking them to make a contribution to the Democrat Governors Association in return they would be allowed to attend a function at the governor's mansion with senior members of the state's economic development sector I'll say that again so so we had the Barron County Economic Authority, which is uh, kind of a gathering of business groups and owners in the area um, trying to create Barron County to be more economically forward, you know, bring in new businesses, tourism, those types of things. And the Bashir campaign wanted them to make a contribution so then they could meet with the state's members of the economic development sector. Wink, wink, nod, nod. That is to say, look, you make these donations, you sit down here at these meetings, we'll get some more money into your uh, Barron County Economic Authority. We'll, we'll strike some deals with you. We'll get the uh, economic development because what the economic development sector is supposed to do is hand out money to groups like the Barron County Economic Authority. So then they spend that in the area to bring in businesses. And that is just sheer trading, of course, on our tax dollars, which is they both do it. Both sides do it. And this is where last week I was talking about how pervasive this idea is that, uh, you know, somehow politicians are in charge over supposed to create jobs. And this is how that rears its ugly head. They have literally millions of tax dollars at their disposal and they get to pick and choose where they give that money. It's going to result in this kind of of corruption. But this ain't the first time that something like this has happened. Another example of this is the Bashir administration had prioritized a road project that would um, personally benefit a business owner, Randall Weddle. And Randall Weddle, you will may remember as a gentleman um, from down there in South Central Kentucky who made 200 grand in campaign contributions to Bashir on his credit card, but used different names every time. So he made 200 grand in contributions. They all came from the same card number, but they came from different names. And the Bashir campaign was forced to return this, obviously, when it was discovered that this had happened. And by discovered, I mean other people caught it. You would really think the Bashir campaign should catch the same card being used to give 200 grand in campaign donations but he put it in different names. Now, obviously, Randall could have done this in many different ways and didn't receive proper instruction for how to do it or received some instruction for how to do it, but that didn't really run through. But then also, that wasn't the only time. Here's, here's another time. This is now three. According to a July report from Daily Beast, Bashir personally gave $500,000 check to Raven Cares. Then on that same day, 
that he gave a check to 500 grand to Raven Cares. He attends a campaign phone run, fundraiser at the owner's house. So he gives a $500,000 taxpayer-funded check to Raven Cares, then goes to a campaign fundraiser at the owner's home. I get it. Cameron did. It looks bad. Some of the things Cameron did. But objectively not as bad as this. I mean, Andy Bashir is literally giving out our tax dollars in order to bribe, in order to funnel, in order to uh, um, wash that money back into his campaign. We've seen this on the Democrat side, like I said, seen this on the Republican side, and they keep doing this because they're, this is a joke. Our campaign finance laws are a joke. We don't hold people accountable at all. The use of taxpayer funds in campaigns is pervasive. It is massive. It's a big problem. Millions upon millions upon millions of our dollars are being spent this way. Sometimes it's as, as glaring examples as giving 500 grand to somebody and then turning around of our money to somebody and then turning around having a uh, fundraiser at their house. Other times, it can seem as simple as uh, people who are currently in office using their office staff to quote unquote volunteer on their campaigns, costing taxpayers hundreds of thousands of dollars. The problems are consistent and constant. And as I said, these these rules, these laws that are coming in to 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 tamp down the kind of corruption, it's a joke. It doesn't mean anything. It's to trip up people. It's something that the uniparty that the establishment uses to beat down on new candidates coming in that if they make a mistake on, on airing something wrong on their forms or something else. Meanwhile, they enjoy almost complete immunity from these kinds of actions. It isn't fair. It isn't right. And we as voters have got to start standing up on these issues. And as I said last week, we've got to start being smarter. We've got to vote smarter. We've got to pay attention. Nobody's owed your vote. Make them earn it. Well, y'all, that's what we have time for today on the Andrew Cooper Writer Show. Thank you all so, so much for joining us. And have a great rest of your day. <laughs>